0: Hello, dear listeners, and welcome to Semaphore Uncut, a podcast for developers about building great products. In this new episode, Darko, the podcast host, welcomes DocuSource's lead developer, Sebastian Lorbert. Sebastian shows us how to build complex documentation websites. I hope you enjoy this new episode. Now let's dive in. Today, we have Sebastian Lorbert as our guest. Please feel free to go ahead and introduce
1: yourself. I'm Sebastian, and I'm working um, for a few years in the software industry, maybe, uh, maybe 15 years, something like that. I've been a Java Scala developer in my past, Career and now I'm focusing on React for maybe the last eight years, and notably uh, these uh, these last two years I've been the maintainer of Docusaurus for Facebook, which is a static site generator. And on the side, I also have a React weekly newsletter called This Week in React, uh, which I dedicate uh, two days a week. I'm focused on React, and um, my uh, we, what we are going to chat today is about uh, Docusaurus, which is a uh, a static site generator that should help you get a documentation website online very quickly and uh, at the same time it's scalable enough to meet a very uh, advanced websites too so
0: as you said we are going to talk a lot about uh, the server so maybe prior to that can you give us like an intro how the weekly uh, newsletters started and you know that side of things Three years
1: ago, I realized that I wanted to sell uh, React Consulting to my customers as a freelancer. And the thing is, uh, nobody knew me apart uh, other developers in some GitHub issues. So I tried to to get more visibility uh, on my profile so that I can sell these consulting opportunities. And I started to post content uh, daily on LinkedIn and it worked quite successfully, uh, it was in French. Then I started the newsletter maybe uh, two or three years ago in French, and uh, it was quite successful. And then I started to post the newsletter as a Twitter thread, and it was also quite successful. And then I converted, and now I have the newsletter also in English, Uh, so my newsletter is localized. I send every week two emails, one email in French, one email in English. And I have maybe 10,000 subscribers today, so this is quite successful and it's growing also nicely. So this is something that I try to make a a sustainable project because uh, it takes me two days a week. So I have to find sponsors and try to to collect a bit of money to to make it uh, possible.
0: To refocus our main topic, so the Kusaros. Can you give us like the history of the project and inception and uh, how it came about?
1: In the beginning, they had a problem at uh, Facebook. They have a lot of open source projects and they have to document them. Some of them are not even public open source projects, uh, some are also internal projects. So the thing is, they need to create a lot of documentation websites for their open source projects, but also for their internal projects. And uh, at that time, uh, it was really expensive because they created a custom site per project. So they started to copy-paste the Jekyll template over and over again for each new project. But the thing is, it was not very maintainable because every time you make an update to add new features to the template, you have to backport these new uh, updates to all the documentation projects one by one. And sometimes you have merge conflicts and things like that. So you you know what uh, (laughs) what can happen. So the the idea of DocuSaurus was to, to create a tool where you can just write markdown files and main have some configuration, like you want your term color to be blue, and then you run a CLI, and then it creates a website for you based on your configuration file. So you just can focus on writing the Markdown content a bit like um, if you create your doc on GitHub, you know, you just uh, create Markdown files, and then you push them to the repository, and then you have something online. But the idea of DocuSaurus is that you have your real website, you have your own domain and things like that. So the goal is that it should be as simple as adding. uh markdown files to, to a GitHub repository and then you just run the command and then uh, it builds something for you.
0: Yeah. You mentioned Jekyll and there are different, you know, static website generators which have their own strengths and weaknesses and focus points. So if you would maybe compare it to Jekyll, I know um, there was, I think, was it a like grant or something like that? And there is also something in Go, like Hugo or something. In broad strokes, can you compare when should we reach out to the service and that's the perfect solution and then perhaps uh, we should go somewhere else?
1: I don't have a lot of experience with Jekyll, but Jekyll was created a long time ago. I think uh, it's maybe less powerful now than Docusaurus. And also it's not, it doesn't build the same kind of experience because it's building multi-page application. So you don't have the feeling of uh, clicking a link and then you load the new page without creating a, um, a new page load in the browser. So this is one of the main difference. The first version of Docusaurus was A bit like Jekyll somehow because it was also a multi-page application, but the the second version of the Quizverse on which uh, everybody is now is a single-page application and it's using React on the server side, but also on the, on the client side, so that the, the navigation can uh, feel uh, better. About Hugo, I think it's also a static site generator in Go. Uh, it's, um, I also don't have experience uh, on it, but uh, I think it's faster than the Cusaurus. Uh, its uh, reputation is that it's a quite fast tool, but I think it's also a quite generic tool, so you don't have anything built in. Maybe some boilerplates or things like that exist, but it's something that you can use for creating any kind of website. Docusaurus is more focused on creating websites for content websites based on Markdown files. So we somehow we are also, we market Docusaurus as a content centric website. A generator, but it's also very flexible, and you can create any kind of website. But this is not how we sell it, because we have to position it to on a niche to to market it somehow. Despite being quite generic, we advertise the Cursorus as a framework to create uh, websites for content. You maybe if you want to create your landing page, your startup website, you won't use uh, the Cursorus because it was not necessarily the, the the goal of the project in the beginning. I think the main two features of the Cursorus is the docs feature and the blog feature. So if you want to create your documentation with the DocuSeries, you can. And if you, create, if you want to create a technical blog with DocuSeries, you can also um, create it and have both the docs and the and the blog on the same site.
0: I mean, over the years for our own product and, you know, various other projects, we, we had that need to create uh, like a documentation. One of the things that I remember that we almost always or all, actually always struggle with is the search. And that we needed to use, you know, something, some external, you know, tools to index and and, and search the content. Is there, um, how how is that handled with DocuSource? Uh, Because you mentioned it is focusing specifically on the content and documentation and search there is, you know, very important.
1: So um, we have a first class integration with Algolia, they have a tool like called uh, DocSearch that you can use for free if you meet certain conditions like being an open source project or things like that. If you are a commercial um, website, you can pay Algolia for their services. And we also have uh, many community plugins to, to bring some uh, local search. So you don't use any remote paid service. You can just create your user site, then run a local search plugin that we have in the community. It will crawl the, the HTML files that we generate and create some kind of uh, JSON file or something with all the, the search tokens that uh, the search engine will use. And then uh, we have integrations to add a UI element, to add a search box, and then uh, display the search results on the website. So in most cases, you don't have to do anything apart installing a the plugin and, and doing some configuration and you will have a search on a, a new website.
0: Let me ask, what's the absolute quickest way to get site up and running?
1: It's a static website, so it's quite easy to host it anywhere uh, you can host static files. Maybe the most popular one is to host on GitHub pages. Lo- running locally is fine for most users because when they run the command locally, they are already authenticated uh, to their GitHub repo locally, so it works the first time, but through the CI, it can be complicated. You can not also do server-side redirects and things like that and configure headers. My favorite options are more like a modern host like Vercel and NPFI, on which you can... Uh, this is very easy to, to install. I think it's simpler actually than using GitHub pages in a CI. The cool thing also is that they have a deploy preview. So for example, if you edit docs in your pull request, you can have a a deployment preview being posted in the pull request with the link where the reviewer can just click on the link and see the data doc live and uh, they can validate the change and decide or not to merge the pull request without even having to look at the diff because, you know, uh, if you look at some code, sometimes you think, yeah, it's working, but in fact, it's not working and you can't see it because you don't have a preview and you have to check out the, the pull request locally and uh, test it locally to, to be sure.
0: Microservices architecture is all age these days, but do you know what it really means and how to implement it to empower your teams to make the best decision for the problem at hand? On the Semaphore blog, you can learn about microservices and how to take advantage of features like test reports, on repo, and Docker support to build, test, and deploy your microservice application at scale. Head over to semaphoreci.com/blog for more information. And happy reading. At least for me who, I mean, I was like working primarily as, you know, f- f- What is today called full stack developer and uh, authentication on the client side and a static website is uh, something I never touched. (laughs) So it's kind of a mystery to me, but maybe we can dive into that topic and you can give us, you know, uh, an overview of how that would work and what are, you know, ingredients needed to to have that up and running.
1: The first thing you you have to understand about the Couserys is that we are building a static website. When you run the build command, what it will do is to generate HTML and and CSS and JavaScript files. But these files are static, so they are the same for all the users. It's not like a content is generated by the server. It's just a static file that will be served. The same for all the users, whether they are authenticated or not. This model makes it uh, a bit more difficult than uh, regular server-side programming to authenticate users because you don't run any code on the server, you just serve static files. This is why, for example, there are hosts like uh, Netlify and Vercel that uh, will provide you options that permits you to bring some authentication on top of uh, on top of a static deployment so um, you can configure the host and define a user and a password and then it will be uh, the the static files won't be served to the user if they try to access it without the the login and the password but this is a bit also limited so i think there are also options to use OAuth and and other protocols to authenticate uh, your users accessing the static site another option that is interesting for example is that how can you run Code. Uh, I mean, for example, if you, if you use Vercel and Amplify, you are hosting the statics files on a CDN so that you can uh, distribute the files faster to the user and they are hosted very close to the user. But the thing is, sometimes you may want to serve the files conditionally to one user and maybe not to another. The features that the host provides like basic auth is uh, quite limiting because you don't want to have a shared password for all the users. And maybe uh, if this password leaks somewhere, then uh, you have to change it and it annoys everyone. So this is not a great experience. There is also something interesting you can do uh, today. Maybe you've seen that uh, many hosts add edge serverless functions to their platforms nowadays. So this is a nice opportunity for static websites because you can basically run these functions before serving the static files on the host. If you want, for example, to add an authentication workflow on top of a static site, you can do this through the edge functions. For example, the edge function can decide this user doesn't have the right cookie, so I will not serve the static file and redirect him to a, a a login page or something. And only once you do the, the logging workflow and as the right cookie, I will serve the, the static file. So this gives you the opportunity to add uh, authentication on top of static deployments. And you can do more advanced things like maybe uh, there is a, a slash admin part of your website that you want to hide and you can decide to protect just this part. And actually you can uh, you can run any kind of backend code somehow in those edge functions. So the idea is that uh, you decide or not if the the files should be served or not. Um, The files are static, so if you want to, for example, send content that is dynamic on a per user basis, for example, if you want uh, the authenticated user to access some uh, data that is specific to this user, this is not a good fit for static site generators because as the static file is shared between uh, all the, the visitors, uh, you can't put the user data in this file because uh, we would have to, to build one file per user. So the idea is that you generally just serve a, a shell of the page. For example, you will create the page layout statically with uh, maybe a spinner in the middle. And then only once the page is loaded on the client, you will do a request to fetch the user-specific data and render it on the, on the client with uh, with React. So then the spinner disappears and the data appears, and this is uh, this is the way you integrate uh, something more static and uh, something more dynamic to a static website.
0: And there are like there are two things that when people visit the uh, Docosaurus website, they can see details, but important ones. There is localization, which is, for instance, not not, not available on many, you know many other static website generators. So maybe you can give us an intro into that. What's the level of like complexity that's added to the user? And maybe after that, we can also you know tackle what's the complexity for the servers to, to support that.
1: Localization is a quite an uh, advanced topic. There are a lot of uh, different strategies that you can use to localize a, a documentation website. What we do on DocuSaurus is that we have a file system Convention. So the idea is that, for example, if you have a documentation, you can just copy this documentation to a new folder, which is uh, IATN slash mylocal, and then you will be able to create or add uh, the new local that you want to have on your site to the config, and then you run the, the DocuSource key, and you will build your site for the two locales. So DocuSaurus is a single page application, and we took the decision to sandbox the um, each local in separate single page applications. So you will build, for example, a single page application for the English local, and then you will build one for the French local, and it will not be one single page application for all the locales at once. So this is the idea, you just put the localized content in a specific folder and then the cursor is able to, to see it.
0: Something in a similar realm, you have the solution for versioning. You mentioned that, you know, file system conventions and all that, so I assume solution is somewhere in that realm, but yeah, how are you solving that?
1: If you have an open source project, you have multiple versions, and it's uh, really confusing for users to use the the documentation of the latest version while they are on the version of uh, two years ago. So, obviously, this leads to a lot of uh, pain. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And you you have to provide support for this uh, every day. I think historically, the the projects will use a versioning strategy based on Git branches. So you have, for example, uh, your main branch that will uh, have the documentation, the live documentation for the version that you are working on today. And then you will somehow create archive branch, for example, for version one, version two and version three. The problem with this model is that sometimes you have a lot of small versions that are quite uh, consecutive. When you do some edits in one branch, then you have to backboard the, the changes to the previous versions because it's still relevant. You know, there are some documentation for new features that can only be on the, the upstream branch. There are also many improvements that you do on the documentation that also apply to users of the past versions. And then you want to backport these documentations to the, to the previous version. So the, the strategy that we use at the q is a bit different. Somehow, all the versions are on the main branch by default so the idea is that for example it's a bit like a iatn like we just discussed you have your docs folder which is the version that you are currently working on and you have a folder version docs slash version one or slash version two where you put the content of the past versions so on your main branch you have all the versions available and if you have to edit some docs and make it Instead of backporting the the change to all the older versions, you can directly edit all the versions at once in the same branch and submit in the end a single pull request with all the, the changes. What I would recommend is, for example, to just keep in your main branch the branches that you currently still edit, but if a branch is very, very old, If a version is very, very old and you know that you won't backport any change to this version anymore, you can somehow archive it to a specific, uh, to a standalone uh, GitHub branch and deploy it to a host like uh, Vercel and Netlify or something like that. And then you just create an immutable static deployment for this specific version that will be there forever and uh, you just create a link to this whole deployment.
0: Is there any layer of like testing added to the static applications or
1: DocuSaurus is a React application, so from the user perspective, you can add tests for the code that you write. Docuzeroos is very flexible, so basically you can make it work by just providing Markdown files. But if you want to create a, a really advanced landing page or make your doc interactive with React components that you embed inside the Markdown files, it's possible, and you can write tests for it like any uh, like any React component that you would otherwise uh, do in a React application. Now, from uh, from the perspective of um, the maintainer of Docuzeroos. We have tests to make sure that the framework keeps working.
0: Can you give us like an overview of like what are you working on right now with Duxorus? Well, it's maybe something that's coming in 2023. Are there any major features or changes that are coming, optimizations?
1: The next version of Duxorus uh, will be the version 3. The, for me, the main goal is to upgrade the technical stack to React 18 and also to use uh, MDX2. MDX2 is the, the Markdown parser that we use. And it's quite interesting because it permits to embed React components into your Markdown files so that you can make your doc really interactive.
0: And maybe lastly, can you give us some you know, pointers uh, where to learn more? So definitely about your newsletter, but also about Docisaurus, how to get started.
1: If you want to know more about me or my newsletter, you can find me on Twitter at Sebastian Lorbert. My newsletter is thisweekinreact.com. And for DocuSaurus, you can go to the official DocuSaurus website, docuSaurus.io.
0: Good luck with the project, and thanks again. Thank you. What a great conversation. We hope you enjoyed it and learned something new. Make sure to subscribe to Semaphore Uncut on your podcast player of choice so that you don't miss our new episodes. And stay tuned.